0: what you did to be successful outside of Google won't necessarily translate inside of the company. I think what he was trying to do was reshape me into someone who would fit into his team and perform against the metrics he cared about. So I tried to do whether it's a litmus test or a pre-mortem on what good would look like, what bad would look like. And the thing that I kept arriving at was the fact that I could spend 30 or 40 years inside of an enormous company and becoming quite a disagreeable person. And the sum of the, the time that I've spent there could be, I don't know, thousands of compromises, maybe some great relationships, but I could have lost sight of something that I wanted to do. And I would rather, I said this all the time, I would rather do it now and spend all the savings that I have and have it fail than not have tried, because I still think there's a lesson there.
1: Hi, I'm Carlos co-founder of the happy startup school and welcome to our happy startup community podcast along this journey of building the happy startup school i've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival or sat at a beach cafe in goa during one of our retreats each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how i look at business and life This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. Brendan Kearns is a designer and founder of Studio Rival. For many people, his career path is already a mark of success, having worked at Twitter, Envision, and Google. But like most creative entrepreneurs, he has his own definition of success that isn't driven by money or status. In this episode, we talk about his time working for tech giants, his view on the role of designers, and what it means to him to be an entrepreneur. Brendan is definitely values-driven, and you'll hear about how he puts those values into action when choosing clients. Though he's also pragmatic and looks at the bigger picture what he's trying to achieve rather than being too strict with his values for instance. Even if there isn't an exact values match with the client, if the money is good enough he'll see it as an opportunity to create change in the organisation and also fund other projects that he believes in. Like myself and Lawrence, Brendan took an unorthodox route into his profession, studying first at business school before becoming a designer. This has meant he's been able to look at things differently and not be conditioned by orthodox training. Rather than being t-shaped, he aspires to be comb-shaped this means instead of being a specialist in one area you'd rather have a good knowledge of a broad set of disciplines if you're a creative prof- a professional looking to make the leap or you're an early stage entrepreneur wanting to be assured you're on the right path then this episode is for you enjoy strategizing around a business trying to get your head around next steps and how that sometimes that can send you into a spin
0: Yeah. Even more so on your own, I think.
1: I like to just ease into these things um, rather than have a necessary abrupt beginning or an end. Um, It's very much a conversation. I think that the kind of person that we would like to talk to is the creative professional making a transition from um, being part of an organization to being a company of one. But then hearing about your own story and your journey of, as a designer and and making that transition yourself and the things that you put in place and the things that you did, that you invested in yourself, maybe to start off with so people get a feel and a context uh, to this story is maybe describe a bit more about uh, what you're doing at the moment and, and the business you're running and then how you got to to this stage, really, to, to running your own thing.
0: Sure. I think what, well, so the business I'm running at the moment is, is quite difficult to describe. I'm by and large, a designer, a product designer, user experience designer, whatever label we end up picking today is Um, but I think that the business itself was born out of a number of lessons that I've learned over the last decade and being a designer inside of, whether it be studios, tech companies, even, even working on client side projects, it was, it was this realisation that design is usually there to visualise the hunches or intentions of other people. Um, and I was more interested in having bigger, larger strategic discussions and And found that I didn't really want to have that debate about design having a seat at the table. And I got a little bit... Um, tired is not the right word. I think I, think I, I could see a clearer path towards a more commercial discipline for design where I could apply expertise more openly, you know, less of a subjective art and apply it to problems beyond maybe more tactical um, and, and help people kind of deal with bigger problems and, and not necessarily just be on the tools, but facilitating good conversations between team members and executives and their customers and just trying to normalize a lot of the thinking that we do as designers in these teams and give people a vocabulary and the permission to do better work and build better things and come up with better ways of measuring what good looks like. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think why I started the business But it's only six months in, I think it's been, it's almost been growing for a long time, but it's been this, you know, whether it's back of a napkin or in a spreadsheet or a bunch of documents that I've just tried to capture and, and synthesize things. Um, but in six months I've, I've been quite fortunate to still, have a relationship with google which is fantastic um helping them build essentially what is an accelerator inside of their academy so working with executive teams on how they kickstart change and then what that change means when it actually reaches frontline teams so how do they work differently solve problems differently talk about problems more openly Um, and then i get to experiment with wonderful ambitious you know creative people who are forming startups in all kinds of spaces whether it be Money and finance, or uh, education, or even not-for-profit or social good, and that breadth of experience, or the breadth of sorry, applying my experience, has been much more rewarding than I would say in the last six months than it has been maybe in the last six years. So that learning had, curve uh, seems to kind of be solidified.
1: You've had quite a, a experience. Well, uh, experience. You've had experience with some big names. Um, looking at the the history of your employment. Um, a Twitter Envision, Google and yeah. there's a lot of people that's, that's already a, a sign of success.
0: What I think it depends on what, what we're measuring it by. Mm. It, it's, and this is, maybe this is the lesson that I learned. I thought I, I felt a little bit this when I arrived at Twitter was I always, and I say to my girlfriend all the time, now that I've seen how the sausage is made, I'm less impressed it doesn't mean that I'm not impressed with like the capabilities internally, the creativity and engineering skills of people that you work with. But once you see it for what it is, you realize that it's much more about having the permission to do work at that scale. And that may have that impact. And I think you see the same qualities in people who are maybe free of conventional wisdom, like um, people who are early stage startups, maybe startups with fantastic traction And there's a certain drive that comes with that. And when I tried to, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think I tried to use those milestones of success, like arriving at those places as a proxy for, well, okay, I can be successful now rather than it being a principle that you try and live. Because my, I mean, my story is fairly average. It's university dropout of an average business school spending, you know, years and years in, in interview rooms with, quite overweight agency owners that looked at me in a strange way because I didn't go to the art school that would make me become a designer that they could hire and apply quite quickly. I didn't go to the right business school that would make me an account guy. So if I wanted to work and when I say work, if I wanted to work well and I wanted to have an interesting time while I was doing it, I had to do something slightly different. So I think it was trying to be, um, not outmaneuvering, but just a fuller stack of designer. It was so not over indexing on one particular skill, but trying to become someone who was not just T shaped, but this almost like an assortment box of chocolates at Christmas is you can go into any room and, and hopefully be useful or at least constructive and people can build on your ideas and, and the things you bring to the table. So as a, as a principle, maybe that's what worked and what got me there and what got me recognized. But then once you land inside of somewhere, say Google, I remember my manager saying to me, what got you here won't help you be successful here. And I'm convinced he was a sociopath at least, oh, um, was not a great, that's one person, just one manager. It's not all of them. Um, but in, in a company of a hundred thousand people, you'll always find people in the middle layer that aren't that great. And I think of those principles I couldn't live out because a large portion of big tech companies obviously are individuals chasing incentives. Like how do I make this number go up and to the right? So I get promotions, I get more stock. I live a better life, a more comfortable life for my family. And that's fine. And I just, I wasn't scratching the itch that I thought I was trying to scratch maybe earlier in my career when I had more of that hunger. So the starting a business was a way to disrupt that.
1: Mm. I'm really curious about that statement. He said, what got you here won't make you successful here.
0: Yeah. So it was, it was, I th- what I took it was, is and I can't speak for him, um, was you were recognized and shoulder tapped as someone who, would add a lot of value to this team, or maybe as a designer that has a certain recognition. I didn't feel that way, but obviously someone did. Um, and when coming into the business, it was like what you did to be successful outside of Google won't necessarily translate inside of the company. So the wholesale application of how, maybe how you work, how you relate to others, it felt what was, what it felt, what I think what he meant was I need you to reset. And it, it turned out as if this was a bad management technique. So anyone listening to this, please don't do this to people. Um <laughs> I think what he was trying to do was reshape me into someone who would fit into his team and perform against the metrics he cared about, which were you know, increasing team size, influence, and so on, rather than the quality of work that you were doing.
1: Wow. So it was, it was yeah. definitely kind of squeezing a square-shaped peg into a round... <laughs>
0: Yeah, a little bit. And something I think that was true of a lot of people. It, it you know, for a full year at Google you're called an a noogler. That's it's because you, you have to kind of navigate this strange place. And I always tell people that Google's not one company, it's about a hundred or a thousand different companies under the one brand. Um, and you need to localize into certain cultures. And maybe I landed in the wrong one when I first got there. Or at least I landed in the in a different microculture that just didn't gel with me. I didn't gel with them. And I found it difficult to really do great work that I cared about. And then that becomes a, this awful cycle of you don't feel great about what you're doing. Therefore you don't repeat the process. Well, then you, you can end up in a slump and then all of a sudden someone is telling you that you don't meet the um, the performance requirements that, that they expect of you when you weren't built for them.
1: Wow. That's...
0: Just to keep it positive.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> well, it, it, it's really no, it's really good to hear. Um, the thing that sp- springs spring up for me is like I've been recently having lots of conversations around leadership and what leadership means and what leadership takes. And it sounded like this particular person had a specific idea of what leadership was, which was around, it's my way. This is how it works. This is your chair. Sit there do what I say. That's the impression I was getting from what you were saying there. And that for someone who is a creative person and what sounds like to me, you are also an entrepreneurial person. Sounds like the worst way to treat an amazing
0: asset. Yeah, I think so. And this is the the byproduct of maybe being more Australian than anything else is I would, (sighs) I couldn't shut up sometimes and I would just call it or I'd find a new forum to bring up the issues, like whether his boss was in the room or, you know, executive leadership was in the room and that just didn't work out well.
1: Mm. That's not a great place for growth.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. And you, you, I think what I saw in, in some of the members of the team was it was safer to conform, and maybe not bring them full bring their full selves to the team and and contribute to an environment where like the truth being diverse teams and diversity of thought diversity of background, diversity of race gender so on that's what creates brilliant products particularly when you have hundreds if not billions of users that you're trying to solve problems for Mm. and so uh, monoculture just doesn't translate when you're trying to pull great pieces of empathy and ideas and products out of these teams and that's your responsibility if that's what you're measured by then you're not set up for success
1: Whew. there's um so i can. from what i heard you say earlier there was um this idea of running your own business has been brewing for a while or i don't know if ever from the since the beginning i also heard you know you you're a multi-skilled person it isn't just a person who creates pretty pictures. It's someone who th- sounds like someone who looks at things from many different angles, has a broader perspective. You talked about rather than T shaped, you know, comb shaped. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I wish, I wish there were enough time and time in the day to be comb shaped.
1: <laughs> but there's definitely a, a broader um, perspective on things, which sounds like also. I had a need to also have a broader impact than just being a designer that makes something look good or just, just focuses purely on the design process But this, something broader about bringing in people and teams and facilitating. Is that, was that correct?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, it, it reminds me of a conversation that was quite common at, at the last couple of companies where design and product leadership would, it was a phrasing that I had that you could either be, Um, And they would say individual contributor or manager. But what I think would often be said is you can either be a doer or a leader. And it just, it never quite gelled in the fact that if you are the person at the point of creation, um, whatever that is, whether it's writing code, drawing on a whiteboard, creating something um, more visual, that you can't be the person who has strategic oversight or input or looks left and right while also moving forward it, it just it just didn't gel very well with me and maybe that's because i wasn't traditionally educated in the way that most designers were and i had to both be self-taught and maybe hustle a little bit although i'm not a big fan of the term hustle into these positions by patch a bunch of experience together that eventually had enough of a proof point that i could be accepted and or at least given the chance
1: mm. So it sounds like um, you were were forged in the fires of these big companies, but ultimately at the core, there was something much more dynamic, creative, um, for want of a better word, I'm just going to say you didn't want to fit a certain mold. There was something a bit, uh, I was going to say revolutionary, but you wanted to break (laughs) out of, of, of certain structures it sounds like mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like being at google seemed to push you more in the direction of needing to do your own thing
0: yeah and i think a lot of that was witnessing people who were entrepreneurial being really successful in that environment and don't get me wrong I, i've given a, a quite a negative story just that off that was that wasn't my entire experience there and i think there are um there are amazing chances for to use Google as a launch pad, whether it be to do the best work of your career, to make great friends, to create connections that'll last, um, last a lifetime. But the specificity of your role description at a certain level at Google, and this is even still quite a senior design position means that you're responsible for very tactical things. I remember reading on Quora before I even, um, got to the interview at Google, which was another grueling aspect. Um, Someone said like, what's it like? How, how do people work? What's it like at a certain level? And someone gave an analogy of because their pipeline is so deep and so thick and so long, they have the pick of the bunch when it comes to engineers. So you can end up with certain engineers who anywhere else may even be CTOs of small companies working on what might be menial things. And When they land inside of Google, it's about how do they quantify the impact of their work so they can get promoted into the position or rightful position that they should. But then when you look above you, there are people who were in your position five years ago and they've made how they work more googly and optimized for the incentives that maybe the immediate environment around them cares about. And then they're not having discussions about what motivated them to come to Google in the first place. It's about how do you survive and be successful here um, while also maybe maintaining a little bit of truthfulness to to why you get get out of bed every day.
1: So there's the thing that sprang to mind there when you were talking was having your own definition of success. And for someone who wants to work at Google and stay at Google, the definition of success is being able to navigate the the structures and the, or the game, for one of a better term. Right.
0: Well, just the um, complexity. I mean, the enormous complexity and pace of that place.
1: Wow! And so there was there was a, a moment in time, or was it a, was there a sudden uh, decision? Right, I need to do my own thing, or was it you know like you were saying there was always an intention to do your own thing? Did it slowly build up, and you decided to take the plunge? And were there any doubts or concerns about doing that
0: i think it had always been in the back of my mind but i never felt like i had the financial means to do it until reaching a certain level particularly in big tech where and to put it crudely it compensated very comfortably you can create quite a portfolio of stock options and it started to hit a trajectory where i was like this could be the moment to do it with the least amount of risk Um, And I say least amount of risk rather than no risk. So before I left, and it may have been a couple of things. You know, my girlfriend has always said, you you should always do your own thing. A couple of friends have said, you know, it'd be interesting if you could work in this kind of way. So I tried to do, whether it's a litmus test or a pre-mortem on what good would look like, what bad would look like. And the thing that I kept arriving at was the fact that I could spend 30 or 40 years inside of an enormous company and becoming quite a disagreeable person. And the sum of the the time that I've spent there could be, I don't know, thousands of compromises, maybe some great relationships, but I could have lost sight of something that I wanted to do. And I would rather, I said this all the time, I would rather do it now and spend all the savings that I have and have it fail than not have tried because I still think there's a lesson there. And then anyone who I would work with afterwards, if I were to go and get a regular job, anyone who I'd be interviewing with who says, actually I would see that as a failure is not someone who would hold the same values as me. So I probably wouldn't work well with them anyway. So it kind of felt like win-win mm. minus a little bit of money.
1: <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing that I think you said earlier, the, there's the the safety of staying where you are.
0: Um, and full respect to people, you know, people have families and, and different risk profiles and sometimes that can be within relationships. I'm, me and my girlfriend talk a lot about risk profiles and, you have to have the right Venn diagram of stability versus maybe riskiness and where your comfort lies between those two. If one person is on one end of the spectrum and the other person is on the other, and you can't, you don't, you don't know where you cross over on that Venn diagram, then you might have a wonderful career, but a disagreeable home life because (laughs) because you're moving in two different directions.
1: There's so there's that uh, there's the sort of appetite for risk but I also heard the, the, you said the pre-mortem, there's like the the tale of the two films of your life Mm -hmm. and which one felt more agreeable or less disagreeable. Um, and yeah, I think there's, there's the perceived risk as well because I think even staying Mm -hmm. where you are can potentially be a risk. Um, it's Mm -hmm. just, you, you don't look at it. You don't frame that position. In well you frame that position in a particular way, so i uh, in a sense, it sounded like it was less of a risk to leave because of the potential risk of ending up forty years down the line in a life yeah. that you weren't happy with.
0: Yeah, and the the this can come across as quite av- arrogant, and I think it is arrogant. Actually, is I can always go back. Hmm. So if if I were able to make it in quite a scrappy sense to what what you call before quite. Um, successful positions in companies, then it must be easy for me to do this because I won't go backwards in terms of skill set. I won't go backwards in terms of experience. And if anything, I think I'll have more feathers in my cap in terms of how flexible I can be and what leadership actually looks like. So worst case, I end up going back to a, a similar business or a related business in a much stronger position.
1: I feel there's there's a trust in yourself and your skills, that you can make, you'll make it work. Whatever happens, something you will be able to work it out.
0: I think so. I don't, well, I mean, maybe that's just scrappiness. I'm not sure.
1: I think it is. I think it's whether you call it scrappiness, whether you call it hustle, whether you call it resilience. But there's a, a, a trust that you will find a way of doing it, and I think that's the difference between someone who is entrepreneurial. And someone who f- sees that too much of a risk, you know, when you talk about the risk profile, because in the end, it's it's only a risk if you don't believe in yourself.
0: Yeah, and you'll hit commercial realities quite quickly. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm, you know, the the model that I'm going with is not venture backed. It's not it's not running off anything except my own savings. And I was fortunate enough to come into paying clients relatively quickly. But it's it it hasn't replaced in six months what I would have um, earned at Google. But I think the benefits outside of financial have been well above and beyond what I would have got in terms of career, like being retained somewhere like Google or a Twitter, or even as a freelancer, just being a gun for hire.
1: And this is where it comes, I think, to this this broader definition of success. And you know, when you were talking mm-hmm. about someone who would perceive the experience you've had as you know you've been already pretty successful, but actually, this this sounds to me that you have there are other things are more important to you than the status of being a big company or the paycheck that it, that it comes with. Maybe talk a bit to that. What is it that the the way you're working at the moment, how does that align with what you think is success?
0: It's funny. My, um, my business coach gets me to, uh, journal every, I'm not very good at it. Um, but he essentially asks three questions that I'm trying to repeat every day, whether it's in notes or on the back of a, napkin it doesn't matter which is um uh today i am grateful for dot 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 um yesterday would have been better if and uh what's the last one It's like oh today would be great if so it's i think first he says that because it's very easy as a solo entrepreneur to to fall into traps of negative thinking so that can break that um but it's also an interesting technique to think about how i can frame um what I want my day to be in a more intentional way. And one thing that keeps coming up on um, the first question around what am I grateful for is just absolute freedom to pretty much do whatever I want, you know, within limits. I can't jump on a private jet. I can't, you know, I'm not going to reinvent something, but there is, I have more agency than 99% of people that I see walking down the street. And it would be a shame not to take advantage of that in two ways. I think one is like, how can that be a, I am um, a catalyst for doing something above and beyond what an average person might be able to achieve because I have that privilege But the second being um the freedom to to be kinder on myself and then not to hold myself to a higher standard it doesn't always work um, because there is no off switch there's no 5 p.m. Um, so it, it doesn't it doesn't always translate effectively but it's a much more I say it's a better backbone than what I used to have before where I would sometimes be held to another standard that I either didn't agree with, didn't understand, or um, frankly just didn't give a shit about. Mm.
1: Well, the word autonomy springs to mind.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, this freedom has its connotations. I feel with what you're talking about is that you're not beholden, uh, directly to people. There, there are constraints of running a business and paying the rent, et cetera, et cetera, but you can choose how that works.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, <clears throat> So you mentioned that you have a business coach and this, given where you're quite early, I would say in this new venture uh, and given our conversation previously, this was something you felt the need to invest in early. Um, be interesting to know what, what to share, what what brought you to that conclusion and, and how how you're finding that of benefit. I
0: think first it was just because I work better when I work with others. Um, And being on my own can be potentially destructive or even just not knowing whether the six North stars that I have are viable in my own interest, um, worth pursuing for personal reasons, whatever it is. And just having someone to be a mirror to hold up to myself. So he's quite um, objective, but he definitely helps me frame what planning or what cadence of planning I want to do, how I'm going to measure success, how I can build the habits and rituals into my day-to-day work that help me be more reflective. Um, and when that as a muscle gets stronger, then I think I'm in a better position to be more intentional with where I want to take the business rather than being just a sum of reactive moments over time. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's the, the reason that I started. I I turn it on and off occasionally. Like we might have a couple of sessions if I'm going through something that maybe needs some extra thought and, his background is interesting. He's worked in consulting and creative spaces before, but now works exclusively with, with founders or, um, or senior executives in that space. So I think his not just bird's eye view and reflective nature, but his breadth of visibility across similar problems other people are having makes me feel less alone, whether I'm sitting in my own studio or I've got people in there with me you're still the person with the burden on your shoulders and it doesn't switch off. I remember I had a creative director years ago who said, once you run your own business, you never stop thinking about it. I didn't quite believe him. it. I said, "Oh bollocks you're just having a whinge. You could pay us less or something, but he was, he was right in that you don't stop thinking about it. And it's, it's not a um, it's not even a linear process of get the work, do the work, sell the work, like talk about the work to get more work. It's just, it's this kind of, cotton ball mess that you're trying to make sense of and the coach has been a good way of just giving me different lenses to look at that through
1: so you said at the beginning you, you knew that you worked better with other people my first thought was you could have gone to a co-working space and maybe oh, I tried that The studio um, but there's something more though than just working with other people And it's whether that was the awareness that you needed someone to reflect what was going in your mind before you Mm. go on the coach or whether during having that coach made you aware of the value of that.
0: I don't know the answer to that. I think my girlfriends are great because we're in similar disciplines. She's a wonderful unpaid coach. So i probably owe her thousands and thousands of pounds for that consultation over a few pints. But, um, it's funny, I would have said on a practical level, I've done my best work in pairs, or really talented teams. And at Google, we everyone has kind of spoken about this, but the, the study that they did around what makes the most effective teams, it wasn't location, it wasn't pay, it wasn't um, the, the type of work that they're doing, it was psychological safety. And psychological safety only exists when you feel free to be right or wrong in front of peers, free of judgment. It's impossible to be psychologically safe with yourself because you're both your biggest ally and you know worst critic at the same time and constantly changing throughout the day. So recognizing that and trying to get it from the peers around me made me realize that a it wasn't their job and b they couldn't fully um, empathize in an objective way because they were my friends or my girlfriend or my parents. So a coach was able to tell me you're running this business because what you're doing is this and here's how it's going to impact you. Here's where maybe you're weak. Like you've told me before that your values are this. Why did you make that decision? And it's the same conversation you would have in a psychologically safe environment. Um, and i just, it, it feels much stronger that now that that muscle is, is I would say independently developed and doesn't rely so much on other people, I would say even free from the coach in the long run, I'm hoping that that just becomes something that is second nature. Mm.
1: I, th- I think it was us talking about this idea of the analogy to exercise and having a regular, uh, kind of cadence to this work. Yeah.
0: Um, and so you would have a personal you, trainer, right? Why wouldn't you have a business trainer?
1: Yeah. And think uh, yeah, that, and, and there's a, there's a benefit to having a healthy body. And, and I think, well, talking for myself and I know many people we're a bit lazy and we sometimes just need someone to, tell us what to do so we can just do the work. Um, there's something, so have you, is uh, having a business coach, has that created for you certain practices? Because you already mentioned this, you know, these three questions that you ask yourself in the morning. Is there anything else that you've, you've incorporated in the way you work or just the way you are now to help with being a, your own boss and being your a solo founder?
0: I do. Think- And this would probably even go before the the three questions or journaling exercises is a values activity that I try and use before saying yes or no to prospective clients. Um, It's very easy early on. And yes, we compromise because it's a reality of running a company, even a company of one or a network of people is you're always on the burner of what's the next project? How am I going to turn this into something larger? Can I land and expand on this client? Is there bigger problems that I can solve? And doing that blindly falls into that iteration trap I talked about before, where you can just be reactive to everything and end up inheriting a business. That is the sum of saying yes to the entire world. Whereas a values exercise around what do you, what principles do you want to work on? Um, and this is not saying no to tobacco companies or gambling companies, not that I work with them. It's more about do I like these people? Do I think I'm actually going to be having a good time? Will I still feel free and independent and in charge of this mastery that I care about as a craft and as a business? Um, or, Or will I not? And sometimes that means increasing prices to the point of being okay with working with these people. And often that means they walk away and you think, well, if that's a litmus test that I've built into my process, then fantastic. Or you use that money to spend the time with them to maybe even uh, inject a new perspective on how they might be solving this problem or what they think is, is important. And if you can't change that, you walk away with a great paycheck and you get to work with, you get to hire people, you get to work in a more interesting space, you get to invest in self-funded projects. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a seesaw. It's, it's not absolute. Uh,
1: I think the way you were talking about, being able to use those values as a, as a litmus test or as a checklist, um, as a filter, that again, sounds to me, speaks to your need for autonomy. You get to choose based on what you want. And that sounds like another, um, addition to this definition of success for you. Yeah you're able to so say your, cause you talked about mastery. You t- talked about impact. I think of, um, uh, the book drive. Um, Oh yeah. About I'm autonomy.
0: sure it's on my bookshelf with about three <laughs> pages in where I've dog it and not read the rest of it. That's my standard. standard
1: <laughs> I think you're living it autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Uh, those are the, the three things that he, the, the book talks about what motivates people. Um, and so, you talked earlier about your six north stars, is that right <laughs> um, you, you then also said about you know you have some strong values that you you uh you adhere to so I, I get this impression of there's this whether the six stars are <laughs> directly in front of you or all around you, but there's a certain level of direction you you might have um, but also from my perspective of of running a business particularly something that's particularly potentially creative uh, you're trying trying things iterating
0: and mm.
1: changing things up so I don't know how that aligns with this I think you you, you had a talk I think at UX Brighton's idea of having a vision and iterating within that vision but I, I feel mm. there's a link between having a clear idea of what you want to do but but being able to to experiment within that. So, if any anyway,
0: of that makes sense to you. Yeah, completely. Um, and the to let let's see if I can connect this to the talk topic from UX Brighton a little bit is the argument being you can have a vision that doesn't cost you anything, and the only expense is how many times you will iterate towards realizing whether it's good or bad. Um, one analogy that we talk about, and I was using in a workshop last week, is an enormous business, and it was a huge telecommunications company. I said, You are a Like you're a ship, you are an enormous ship covered in freight or filled with oil. And for you to make a decision to completely turn around takes not just the organization of hundreds, if not thousands of people, but it breaks certain rules and there are certain conventions in place. Because I am so early on, it's really freeing for me to think about where do I want to take this business? What kind of studio could it be? Look at other people around me and say, if I were using them as my own R&D department about that's the shape of their business and they seem to be successful in that way and here's what I hear about people working there. Is that somewhere that I want to emulate or at least maybe even structurally emulate or on a proposition level emulate? Um, But then also looking at the business world that I spend most of my time in and saying where are people heading, where are people lagging, is there something that I can do at a much higher level beyond one person and a bunch of freelancers or Two or three people um, that could create that change that I think would make business smarter, more impactful, more collaborative, creative, empathetic, whatever. Um, and I can experiment on that in really small ways. So I can hold the vision and be quite agnostic to how I experiment against that without taking short experimental failures as a failure of the overall vision itself. Mm. And they, it doesn't, you know, sometimes it's, it's again, it's back of a napkin or it's in a notebook or it's just something that I constantly refer to. Um, there was a, a quote that I saw from somewhere, which I'm totally not going to try and quote, but it was around, most founders end up repeating the same story over and over and over again until the world believes them. <laughs> and I think that's kind of true of about five or six stories that I'm trying to tell myself around the shape of the studio and even how I express what I do and the value I bring can change from meeting to meeting. But the truth being, I'm being experimental around what's landing well and then the kind of work that I get to do with people and how impactful I find that being rather than committing to one and then being wrong and saying, well, shit, I built this company called Rival because I wanted to do more impactful work in a different way. That failed, move aside, throw away all the investment and then go get a job. It just, it's a more permissive and experimental way of going towards that vision and having multiple versions of them and being okay with that.
1: Mm. So maybe to to illustrate that, would you be able to describe a bit more what that vision is at the moment for you? What is the vision for this business that you have?
0: I think there's there's two things. One is an observation about um, problem solving in business itself. Is the reality that every company on earth will or is becoming a digital product company of some kind. There are there are realities around how humans are connected, how they relate to one another, and how businesses speak to them and deliver value. That fundamentally doesn't align with most conventional wisdom, particularly on the larger end. Most people would say like enterprise moves slowly, which is a well-worn trope, but mostly true. So what I'm trying to do with the company is essentially bring the lessons of places like Google and so on, but even the principles that you derive from those environments and give them to people who are in decision-making positions. And what you see at the moment is the McKinsey's or the Deloitte's and no disrespect to them, having strategic discussions that they can't make tangible quickly because they miss one compelling part. And that is that the creative class that exists in their business are delegated to the point of creating someone else's vision. Um, to to mix a term here, rather than being used to experiment against new ideas that could potentially solve problems. So there's a long way of saying it, but when I talk to uh, maybe the upper end of town, say larger banks, big telecommunications companies, a lot of the work I end up doing is just helping them look at things differently, help them look at problems, how they internally tool them, how they then solve problems for customers, what their products end up being, with the ultimate goal of, creating some kind of digital product that solves a problem in a meaningful way. I use a lot of terms about like moments that matter and meaningful problems worth solving as a way of breaking what can be, and and similar to Google that incentive chasing of someone inside of a business. Like I run credit cards and I'm just here to sell more credit cards to hell with anyone else down the line or the rest of the business. And if you build that on a fundamental belief that diverse teams Um, multidisciplinary teams and people who move in a fast experimental way build better products you can create a real powerful um, tool or or, or muscle inside of a business so what I'm trying to do is find a a decent way to do that an interesting way to do that because it's happening in um, disparate fragmented pieces but I think the requirement at the moment is you have to be a 200 person studio or a thousand person studio to make that happen. And I don't really believe in that. I think we can do it in a lean way. So I, when you were talking, I had this
1: vision of the person with the idea at the top of this organizational structure and the designer, or the person implementing it towards the bottom. And this idea of just, okay, I got this idea, just make it happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Without a level of two way communication or even empowering this person at the top with more design, skills or empowering this bottom of the person at the bottom to really communicate upwards to then see what more creativity can happen or more more, um solving problems that matter in a in a better way
0: yeah and there's also i mean the second piece is the and this is an all-encompassing term but the creative class it doesn't do a very good job at capturing the value it creates Mm -hmm or taking a clip of the value it creates. Um, there's a wonderful guy called Blair Enns who runs a company called Win Without Pitching that does sales training for agencies. He works for a lot of traditional agencies, but there's a mantra he has, which is like price the client, not the job. And when you price the client and not the job, what you're talking about is the value that you're going to bring to a business. And then you price according to that rather than hours. So if you talk to most agency founders or studio founders um, or anyone who even works independent, what you'll normally get from them when you say what's your availability is how much time they have and how much they charge per units of that time. Whereas if we are making a shift towards more connected business and more creative problem solving, and that being the most valuable commodity in business, then there needs to be a slight rejig on how creative people then price and capture the value of the impact that they have Mm. and increase their footprint over time. Because I think that, the better that uh, the, the more often that happens and the greater impact that they can have, the better conversations they have inside of companies, the more normal it will become to look at things from different perspectives rather than saying, this is conventional wisdom. We're going to try this. And if we don't, it's the customer's fault or it's someone down the line. It's, it's old school thinking it's static versus dynamic companies.
1: So this sounds like a, there's a mission there, which sounds quite clear. And, um, Sounds like a story that lots of creatives probably get really excited by. Um, and you have this vision of helping these larger organizations make better pro- products by tackling problems, real worthwhile problems. Mm. And then you talked about iterating. So maybe to illustrate this idea of having these visions and then iterating in order to get towards making them happen, is there is anything you'd you be happy to share in terms of experiments or ways of working with these iterations that you've been trying to apply?
0: I mean, it's hard, it's hard to capture in a, in a, a nice soundbite. One of them may even just be the slight pivot that I've made from, um, merely helping people visualize what those products can be to having conversations at a much higher level. Um, or maybe even just shifting my focus from, um, here I can make something that is poignant and potentially profitable and here's a roadmap to make it happen to how can I frame someone else to make those decisions or create environments where they can make those decisions and then help them make it happen. Mm. Um, Which for the second point around capturing the value that I create might actually mean that I'm more of a consultant than someone who's a member of the creative class. But I don't think those definitions stand when you're trying to help people go through large-scale change especially if it's cultural change, if it's the, how they look at problems and think about coming up with solutions and creating safe spaces for that to happen and, and being more experimental, you mm. have to live those principles yourself by f- like looking at where you want to spend your time, particularly when time and effort is finite, if it's a small team or just myself, then then I, I have to be almost brutal about that. And
1: uh, I think there's um, what you mentioned there was, um, spending maybe why well, I heard you going to say, you're going to maybe spend more time acting potentially as a consultant, but it doesn't necessarily, um, mean that you're acting as a creative or being part of the creative class, but this is all part of, it sounds like it's still in service of the vision. of How can we get these companies to create better products? And so that's where I hear you're holding less tightly onto these little experiments and things that we're going to try out. Um, because what's more important is how can we serve this? How can you serve the vision that you have? Yeah. Um, maybe to end off, and um, this is maybe an unfair question, but do you have a a vision for how you would love to work in the future. Where would, you know, if if no holds barred, you could do the work in the way you wanted to do it. Do you have an idea of what, what that looks like and, what
0: you would be doing. Jesus. That isn't fair, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it, in the context of the business and where I am right now, if what success would look like, what I would like to be doing is, and I'm going to, I'm going to use a physical example here, right? It's so at the moment I've got a studio in Hoxton. that can fit a small number of people in it and it's kind of friends coming and going or it's clients hanging out for a few days there's an office at the end of my hall that is about 10 times bigger. And I always look past it and go, well, A, I don't need it. B, I probably couldn't be able to afford it and it would be a complete waste. But when I look in that space, I see a few things. And one of them is really interesting, diverse teams of people solving a huge range of problems. And I imagine as any agency founder imagines a a diverse range of clients in there. And when I think about those two things coming together, I think of like co-located spaces where people can solve problems free of the conventional constraints that they have, whether it be in big enterprise because they are, I don't know, drowning in regulation or or internal politics, or it's bringing people who have um, maybe a small piece of funding and a brilliant idea into that space to make it a reality faster. And so the kind of when I think about what I want to be doing, it's about creating the right environments and teams and um, appetites for really accelerating what good looks like for all these different people Mm -hmm. and hopefully open sourcing that in a way. So like I would monetize at the the point of value and bring these people together and showing them the impact they can have and then creating something giving that to the rest of the community to say, this is how you can practice these principles and bring your clients along for the ride. Or if you're a more entrepreneurial person who's stuck inside of a, maybe a rigid organization, here's a playbook for you to do things slightly differently. That's what I would look for. Mm. Essentially I need to rent a lot of space and then maybe write a book, but I don't want to do either of those things.
1: (sighs) I hear the need for impact and to make kind of some systemic change um what legacy springs to mind in terms of what what seems to, what i hear is driving you um i don't know if it's it's just me just reading too much but you at the beginning of our conversation about when you were taking on the coach you said you know you had a need to work with others you work best when you're working with others and it seems to be reflected in also this vision that you have of the thing you want to create is to get more people working with each other so it sounds like the need is the, the, the vision to create this thing is also servicing a need that you had for yourself. Yeah. So it's, uh, it feels very without amazing.
0: just creating another co-working space, given the current climate of co-working investment.
1: <laughs> oh my God. There's a lot out there, <laughs> but it sounds very aligned. Uh, and it sounds very exciting. Um, so there. this is the point where, um, I, I call my uh, the the shameless uh, promotion part (laughs) Uh, is there anything that you know you'd like to share with anyone listening are there any projects that you're excited about that you'd want to put out there or, or any events or talks that you're giving is there anything that you'd like to to offer in terms of thoughts even
0: I think I'll do two things. I'll do the general plug of the studio, which is called Studio Rival. Um, and anyone who's listening who's ever in Hoxton and wants a coffee or to come eat too many snacks in my office, you're more than welcome, particularly members of the creative class who just want to hang out. The, the second thing is um, because they don't seem to get enough visibility, is a wonderful group in London called Triangles, which it's, was born out of a Slack group called Triangles which is a Design Community. I spoke at one of their events about allyship and what that means, and even at an ally event where there were um, four, or five, um, four or five white dudes, um, and a mix of people on stage, but I'm generalising here, the crowd was largely still filled with young women and non-binary people who were trying to create careers in this space. Um, I'm going to donate money towards them, so if anyone else is either interested in helping them out, please find them on the internet and talk to them. So
1: it's it's,
0: uh, triangle girls triangles yeah I like triangles but girls, I think it was like a subset that started organizing off the the back of this slack group and now they have wonderful events with good free booze and cheap sponsorship options so okay,
1: okay. so search for triangles on the world on the web and um, your website again your domain name is studio- uh,
0: studioarrival.com or find me on Twitter and I'm always quite open
1: and the Twitter handle
0: at Brendan underscore Kearns. I've been trying to find at Brendan Kearns and bribe someone for years. I even worked at Twitter and I couldn't find, like, there's just no way of finding this person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed. They'll they'll come to you at some point. Well, thanks. you, Thank you very much, Brendan. It's been a really interesting conversation. I think it's, for me, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's painted a really um, clear picture of stepping into this potentially scary world of entrepreneurship uh, and how that can benefit from a, having someone to reflect what's going on for you, but also this idea you having this clear, very clear vision and mission for the work you want to do and having a very clear perspective of what success looks like, which I think is very good advice for anyone stepping into this idea of running your own business rather than just, I'm going to make shed loads of money.
0: (laughs) Glad to be helpful.
1: Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School podcast. We're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do. Because for us, happiness is when what you think, say, and do are all aligned. Happiness isn't just a passive feeling, but an active way of living, which isn't always easy, but when it's done right, can be effortless we're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools courses and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup this will require finding out more about yourself as well as learning how to build a purposeful business if you're excited by this then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website thehappystartupschool.com you can also read our blog at ahappy.link.com forward slash read.